you would bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study both scripture and science. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide, that you'd give us wisdom, insight, balance, and that even within the midst of this, that Jesus would be uplifted, we pray in his name. Amen. So the Bible says, Jesus said, or uh, speaking of Jesus anyway, Luke 9 verse 2 says, and he, Jesus, sent them, the disciples, to do two main things, to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So there are really two messages, two great works that Jesus sent forth his disciples to do while he was here on earth. And thinking about that, uh, so they were given this message to teach people about the kingdom of God and number two, to heal the sick. And it's interesting that the two great works that God's people have in the last days are the very same two things. Number one, to teach people about preparing for the kingdom of God. And number two, to be a part of the healing ministry that Jesus left to his disciples. And so we've been given this message. And we were told this about this, a Sunday law and medical missionary work where religious aggression is taking place. Notice what we read. It says, as religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, those who would stand for freedom of conscience will be placed in unfavorable positions. For their own sake, they should, while they have the opportunity, become intelligent in regard to disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. All those who do this will find a field of labor anywhere. There will be suffering ones, plenty of them, who will need help, not only among those of our own faith, but largely among those who know not the truth. The shortness of time demands an energy that has not been aroused among those who claim to believe the present truth. One of the fears that uh, sometimes I hear people within our church say is they say, we don't want to be known as, you know, like Sabbath keepers and vegetarianism or something like that. And so people are nervous about that. But she was actually told that we were meant to be known to the world by the advanced principles of our health message. And praise the Lord, we are. The Lord, the, the Lord has made it so that the world knows about this people because God has blessed us with this message. It's not us. It's God that has blessed, blessed us with this message. So as it gets more difficult to buy and sell, what would we do for medical missionary work? If it was difficult to buy or sell, it would be hard to, to use all the standard accoutrements of the medical system. So what could we do? Could it be that evidence-based research? has been conducted comparing head-to-head -head drug medication and natural remedies. And in many cases, the natural remedies are as good or better than the pharmaceutical drugs and often with significantly less side effects. And I have a whole series about this, but I'm just gonna share with you a few of the principles tonight. And now we recognize that in, in acute situations, you know, drugs may, be drugs may be necessary to save lives, especially in acute situations. But what if in many cases, they're actually healthier, safer, options. So for instance, let's, let's talk about what's considered to be one of the greatest drugs in human history, antibiotics. So antibiotics can slow the growth of and kill many types of infection. In some cases, such as uh, before surgery, antibiotics can prevent infection from occurring. And they begin working within a few hours. They are easy to take. Most antibiotics are oral medications. Oh, um, your doctor may decide to give you an injection. It's imperative that the medicine, if the if it's imperative that the medicine gets into your system quickly. So 
when we think about antibiotics, I grew up taking antibiotics seemingly almost every year as a child, allergies and these kind of things. So I just took, took them like, uh, like candy, it seemed like as a child. But even though these may have some benefits, do they have some very serious side effects? And we're not going to look at some out of the way little like secretive journals. We're going to look at massive studies that have been conducted. In the UK, a study of over 200,000 people, it was shown that for every course of antibiotics increases your, uh, someone's, an individual's risk of depression by 23 to 25%. And that for every two to five courses, antibiotics increase the risk of depression by 40 to 56%. And it also raises their chances of having anxiety. So taking antibiotics increases your chances of depression and taking them more often increases your chances even more. What about anti-antibiotics and our greatest, our, our number one killer in North America, heart disease? Well, research on over 36,000 women reported in the European Heart Journal reveals that higher usage of antibiotics during middle age and later life is significantly correlated with cardiovascular disease events in later life. This is interesting. What about, we go on, Parkinson's disease. As reported in the journal Movement Disorders, a nationwide case-controlled study of Finland revealed a 41% increased risk of Parkinson's disease in people taking certain oral, oral antibiotics. It seemed to be delayed, a delayed effect of up to 15 years, potentially because of bacterial changes in the gut, changing what's called the microbiome. So think about this. Antibiotics may cause diseases like cancer, uh, Parkinson's, or at least increase your likelihood of having these diseases. And specifically speaking of Parkinson's here, it, you may not notice the correlation because it doesn't really start taking effect until 15 years later. So here's the thing. Could many diseases that people suffer with today actually be a result of a great drug that has actually been very beneficial at helping combat one disease, but yet has actually been exacerbating another disease? The trouble is to correlate, it's very hard because it takes place so, uh, so much later in the game. But let's go further. What about antibiotic usage and cancer? The European Journal of Cancer looked at research on 125,000 plus individuals with cancer and matched them with over 490,000 control individuals. They discovered that people who took more than five courses of penicillin had a 40% increased risk of gastric cancer. They also found the same thing with lung cancer. And I could go on and on with these things, but antibiotics and rheumatoid arthritis. Researchers looked at over 22,000 people with rheumatoid arthritis and matched them with over 90,000 people without rheumatoid arthritis. And the chances of being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis was 60% higher in people who were exposed to antibiotics. So notice we see that uh, antibiotics potentially increase the risk of rheumatoid arthritis, Parkinson's disease, cancer, depression, and here's the thing, many times you've probably heard someone say, oh, I know someone who uh, they were vegan for years or vegetarian and they got cancer and died. There's really nothing you can do. You know, it is true. Cancer is more difficult than diabetes or heart disease. We know how to reverse those in most cases. Cancer is a little more difficult, but could it be that they have so damaged their immune function by killing off the good bacteria that is one of the main sources of immune function in the body that they've destroyed it to a large degree because of the antibiotics years ago that they cannot fight off the cancer that their body naturally produces that our body can normally uh, keep down as long as we have a healthy immune function. So 
it's very interesting to think about the things that we use that we think of as totally safe, that have very little side effects, may be actually exacerbating or causing some of the greatest diseases known to humanity in the Western world anyway, cancer and heart disease. Now, I'm not saying they're the only factors, but they are clearly factors according to studies with hundreds of thousands, probably over a million people put together. So other diseases, studies have also been done that suggest that other diseases like juvenile idiopathic arthritis, autoimmune liver disease, and type 1 diabetes risk may be increased by antibiotic use. So many of the diseases that people suffer with may be in part, maybe not fully from, but in part from antibiotic usage. So, but here's the thing. So we're talking about God is going to use his natural remedies in the last days. And so we're going to look at research on diet versus drugs. Notice this, the most cutting edge cholesterol lowering statin drugs lower your risk of dying from a heart attack by 3.1% over the next six years. Isn't that great? Well, I guess really not. It doesn't sound that good. If you, you take the drug because you're, you're told you have heart disease and you think, man, this is wonderful. My doctor has a drug for my heart disease and, and he gave me these statin drugs but he probably didn't tell you it's only going to help your chances of not dying by 3%. Very small benefit to these things. So, uh, but Dr. Esselstein, this doctor did his second study on patients with established cardiovascular disease. These were, they called them the walking dead. So he was given patients who had no hope of survival. They were told to go home, some of them, and just wait to die. And he put them on a total plant-based diet, but it was more strict than just vegan. Uh, it was totally unrefined in the sense that uh, not even oil they were allowed to have. And a low-fat plant-based diet for those who are fully compliant reduced the risk of major cardiac events by 60%. Out of the 177 compliant test subjects, one had a stroke. That means 99.4% of those who stuck to the plant-based diet with no fish, meat, dairy, or oil avoided recurrence. So you can have upwards of a 99.4% chance of not having a heart attack or a stroke by going on this diet. Yes, it may be quite strict, but you now think about this. Compare this natural remedy of changing your lifestyle to the most cutting edge drug that scientists have been able to come up with to fight having heart attacks and strokes that only benefit by 3.1%. You see, my thought is this, as a doctor, doctors have a choice. Most doctors think, well, I'm not going to tell people about the health message because they probably won't follow it anyway. People are stubborn. They don't like to change. That's true. Most people don't actually like to change. But here's the thing. What if you gave them the choice? Say, hey, I got two options for you. Door A, door B. Option A, option B. Option A is the standard route. If you, I can give you this pill. It'll give you a 3.3% chance of avoiding a heart attack. It has a you know, 96 point, you know, 9% chance of doing really almost nothing for you, but, I, but we could, you could go that route. I'll totally give you the option. Or we have this other option that is 20 times better, and it could actually give you a 99, potentially 99.4% of not having a stroke or a heart attack. Which option would you like to have? And you say, but Chad, I'm too busy to go through all that. I only have like, doctors have like seven or eight minutes with their patients. Uh, and, and I know we're talking about maybe the family physician at this point, but what they could do is what one of the doctors that we, we know his son anyway, that what this particular medical doctor does is he doesn't have time to teach all this stuff. So what he does is he finds out, okay, you have serious heart disease. Uh, you know, I'm going to direct you to my son who actually teaches classes on reversing heart disease or if his patient has diabetes, he doesn't have time to show them. Most people can just fully reverse type two diabetes. 
and most people can begin to reverse heart disease. And so he sent, he directs them to a class that his son teaches. So we could come up with new ways because doctors don't have time to do this, but they could have someone working with them who could do the work of the natural remedies and teaching people how to change their lives. Well, the American Diabetes Association says there is no cure for diabetes, but it can be managed. Um, I'm here to tell you, that's not true. They're just not telling the truth. And I'm not sure why they don't want to tell the truth, but I'm going to show you a video clip. Actually, before I do that, Dr. Dean Ornish, one of the top medical doctors, one of the most popular medical doctors, medical scientists in the United States, says that uh, Dean Ornish, MD, says that by changing diet and lifestyle, 95% of people can reverse their diabetes. 95% of people. Why would the American Diabetes Association say there's nothing you can do to reverse it? I have no idea. I don't know why they would just be dishonest like that. Uh, maybe what they mean is there's no drug to reverse it. And that is true, at least up till, you know, recently. I don't know of any drugs coming out recently that, but up till now, there was no drug to reverse the disease. You could just simply manage it. But the great news is there's lifestyle ways by eating and changing your diet and, uh, and exercise that can help us simply reverse the disease. I want, I'm going to show you a little short clip from Dr. McDougall. I had the opportunity to interview him for a documentary film we made. And notice what Dr. McDougall says. He's one of the top medical doctors at reversing things like diabetes, heart disease, and uh, immune problems. But uh, There are a lot, of, a lot of sick, fat people in the United States and Europe and other westernized parts of the world. Uh, the problems they have are all the same. They're obese, they get type 2 diabetes, their arteries are clogged up. As a result, they get heart attacks and strokes. And also their tissues are just sick and cannot respond properly and they degenerate into dietary cancers like prostate and breast and colon cancer. Well, these people have to resort to their innate healing properties if they want to get well. The only way to get well is to fix the problem. The problem's the food. Every day, three, four, five, six times a day, what happens with the typical Westerner, American, is they take a fork and spoon and they shovel injury into their body. Now, the body hasn't ceased its efforts to try and be healthy. The body's healing, the arteries are healing, the cancer cells are healing. I mean, healing's going on all the time. And the body's working as hard as it can to heal. It just can't keep pace with the injury from that fork and spoon. And all you have to do is just tap in on the miraculous innate healing properties of the body. There's nothing more to it than the fact that the body heals. You throw it out in the street and get it hit by a truck and it heals. If you, if you just stop the injury at the dinner table, it heals. The type 2 diabetes goes away 100% of the time. Yes, it does. All right, I'm not sure why I was bringing up there at the end, but he said, my was sitting and my wife was interviewing. I was recording, my wife was sitting there interviewing. And people said 100% of the time you can reverse type 2 diabetes. The owner said that it's 95%. So somewhere between 95% 100% percent of people simply get rid of their diabetes by changing their lifestyle. Some people want to drug and keep busy and just kind of manage it. They choose to do that. But we need to do it. We need to help people. If you want to be healed, you must be your disease and just kind of work with the rest of your life for the same medical decisions. 
healing ministry, not just a, a disease, uh, you know, management people. God was calling us to I recognize some things in life that can't be reversed. But some of the greatest diseases that people suffer with can fully be reversed by change of lifestyle. So let's look at this. Now, I'm going to show you another video clip. This man came to a seminar that my wife and I were doing in Oregon. This man at the time was 80 years old. And you think, well, you know, an 80-year-old person, uh, overweight, how, they, if they change their life, it's a little too late. They, they can't, you know, get better from their diabetes and so forth. This man came to, his name's Dell. Dell came to our seminar, and this is an interview with him two and a half weeks after he came to our program. Notice what Dell has to say. This is so exciting to see. I've been di uh, diagnosed as a diabetic uh, for a little over uh, 20 years. And because of my family background, all four grandparents were diabetic, mom and dad were diabetic, my brother who passed away a few years ago of uh, diabetic complications is diabetic. And so with that history, I would be extreme uh, chance for being dead by the age of 40. My side effects were mostly neuropathies. A neuropathy is a feeling you get, it's in, in comes from within the nerve system, uh, deteriorating due to uh, the blood sugar situation. And mine was numbness in my feet. My feet, uh, half of both feet were always numb and sometimes even back as far as my heel coming up toward my ankle on some, some days, but always half a foot. At night, uh, periodically, the rubbing of my feet on the sheets would feel like they were being rubbed on a red hot iron, just like they were being blistered. I'd have to put my feet out from under the covers and uh, over the edge of the bed so they weren't touching anything. But the numbness uh, never went away, day or night. I started this therapeutic diet idea before I knew it was therapeutic diet, uh, about a week or maybe two before I met uh, Chad and was introduced to the therapeutic diet concept, I had started adding more fruit, uh, fresh fruit and more fresh vegetables to an already uh, vegetarian diet. But I was lacto-ovo, that's um, milk and eggs and cheese vegetarian. We went to the gut-brain, brain-gut connection and uh, got a hold of the um, recipe book and started some real changes. And within three days, the numbness was progressing out of my feet. Within a week, it was down to where I just had two toes on each foot that were numb 24-7. And uh, then a few more days, that went to where I could have feeling on the tops of all my feet, all my toes, all my foot. Another day went by, it was down to one toe, next to the big one, the second toe on both feet were the only numbs. Then that went down to where it was down to just one toe and now the numbness has gone out of all toes and feet. I have a little bit of residual, kind of a fluffy, fuzzy feeling 
in the left second toe. But uh, basically, uh, I could say it's 99.9% gone. So uh, that's gone. The other thing that I noticed that showed up, I didn't even think about it at the time, but uh, I had been unable to work more than five, 10 minutes out in the yard, and then I'd have to come in and rest for half an hour. And uh, the other day, I was out uh, pruning shrubs and, and carrying the debris out of the yard and putting it into the pickup. And I was out there for a little over three hours and I came in feeling better than when I went out. So the energy factor is uh, something that kind of surprised me. I didn't expect. So, you know. So it, it's been a, an amazing two and a half, three week uh, trip. If it keeps like this, look out, boy. Yeah, the world's gonna know I'm here. <laughs> we had such a great time with Dell. You know, seeing a man 80 years old that, and this, these, these results are not uncommon. If you teach these same principles, th this terrible thing called neuropathy that the medical system has nothing other than drugs to kind of cover the pain, but there's nothing they can do to reverse it. The good news is if they begin to change their lifestyle within two to three days, it begins to go away. So you're not talking some long-term thing of, oh, you got to wait years or months to start feeling better. In many cases, within days, people start to see a reversal. Their blood sugar starts dropping. The, uh, the pain or numbness can start going away within days. And typically within 30 days, they'll have an incredible reversal. In, in a very infertile, it was two and a half weeks, like he said. So now I want to share with you just a few scientific studies on, on healing natural remedies that have been compared sometimes head to head with drug medication that have been found to be as good or better, just to let you realize. Now, I understand in medical school, they're not going to often teach these kinds of things because this isn't what's normally taught. I mean, these natural remedies are basically near free. And so it's not something that's standardized, but I want to show you the research that's been done, realizing that we're going to come to a time where it's going to be difficult to buy or sell. And the medical ministry we do is going to move toward what we have been talking about and what we, what had been prophesied for God's people in the last days. Let's look at honey and wound healing. Patients that had received plastic surgery had on the same wound covered half with a standard surgical dressing and the other half with a honey dressing. And so uh, notice this, uh, yes, so we go on. And the half that was dressed with the honey healed about a third narrower. And the study concluded that by stating that the aesthetic or the look of the wound could be enhanced by using a honey dressing. Now, this has been used for thousands of years, all the way back to Egypt. And when it's finally put to the test, we find that using honey on a wound is actually more beneficial than the standard dressing that would be used in a hospital. Very fascinating, simply honey. And what about honey and canker sores? M Michael Greger is the one who brought these points out. They're just such great points. What happens when you have people put on a standard steroid cream made for canker sores or an over-the-counter pain gel put on canker sores or simply putting honey on the sores? Well, here's the chart in the study that actually uh, talked about this. And what, what do we find? Well, the red group is the steroid group. So you can see right away after taking it on, on day zero, uh, from the first day, it starts going down, 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 four days. What about the blue? This is the cream that you can buy in the store. 
Well, it begins to go down slowly, but then boom, by eight, the eighth day, it is gone. Now, what about honey? If you take honey, with, within one day, these uh, people's canker sores were getting better. Look at this. I mean, uh, so the best one is honey. And so you could either take steroids or you could take honey. Uh, well, it's up to you what you want to do. But the reality is the one that works the best is the honey. But I know some of you might be thinking, but Chad, is it safe to be putting honey in your mouth? <laughs> okay, probably nobody was actually thinking that. Uh, but well, there are there were no side effects in any of the groups. But, but honey should not be given to babies under one years, uh, one year old. So um, you may have known that that we're in general told to avoid it in babies. So not with the babies, but for anybody else, it would be a great option for canker sores or for wound healing. So what about depression? What about depression in this simple little flower here? Well, uh, I just missed one. So medication they may cause depression, a little old journal called JAMA, not so little, one of the most prestigious journals in the United States, the Journal of American Medical Association reports that 37% of adult Americans are taking a medication that has depression as a side effect to taking the medication. And they reported that taking three or more med meds that had depression as side effects significantly increased the risk of depression. So much of depression may actually be coming from the medication that people are taking. And the more medications that you take that have depression as a side effect, increase your likelihood of getting depression. Well, what about St. John's wort? You probably heard about many people know, oh yeah, that's a potential uh, for uh, natural remedy for depression. Well, they did it versus placebo, a study of 1,005 people put on either, or 105 people, sorry, uh, were put on either placebo or 300 milligrams of St. John's wort three times a day. Well, 67% of the people taking St. John's wort lowered their levels of depression by and uh, their depression versus 28% of the people in the placebo group. You say, okay, so it's better than placebo. That's good. But what about actually head to head with a drug? Well, let's find out. Uh, 29 different studies have with over 5,000 patients have been done conducted looking at the effectiveness of St. John's wort uh, or hypericum extract, which is the Latin name for St. John's wort. And St. John's wort has been compared to placebo and, diff and different medications, including selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs and tri or tetracyclic antidepressants. What did they find? It turns out that St. John's wort is as effective as the standard depression medications in research trials. And St. John's wort has fewer side effects than the medications. And the Journal of Clinical uh, Psychopharmacology reported out in St. John's wort versus Prozac in a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled study. St. John's wort was significantly more effective than both Prozac and placebo. And this is incredible that a certain, and by the way, you know, I, I, I live in Michigan, but on our property all over the place, the stuff just grows wild out there. So I thought, well, it's growing out here. I might as well just save some. So I cut it and it's, dry, it's dried in the basement right now. And so uh, you have it. I mean, it's just very simple. It grows around North America and what a blessing, right? Something that has been more beneficial than Prozac and a simple natural remedy that God has been given us. And even if it didn't grow on your property, you could grow it on your property. You could just, you know, buy some of the seeds and have it. And, and in the last days, when it's difficult to buy ourselves, being able to grow our own remedies, what an option, what a great thing that we can do. So 
By the way, research from the journal Frontiers of Psychology revealed depressed individuals who used antidepressant medications were significantly more likely to have recurrent depressive experiences. So taking the medications for depression might make you more likely to become depressed in the future. So could it be that the natural remedies don't have that same side effect of making you more likely to be depressed in the future? Very interesting thoughts to consider. So what about a migraine medication? Well, um, you probably know what that is right there. So a common medica medication for migraines is called Imatrex or Sumatriptan, and it has a bunch of side effects like mild headache, that's not a migraine, <laughs> or pain or chest tightness, pressure or heavy feeling in any part of the body, weakness, feeling hot or cold, dizziness, spinning sensation, drowsiness, nausea, vomiting, drooling, you got it. There's a bunch of side effects. Well, ginger versus sumatriptan for migraines, the research has been done, head-to-head -head studies. So we're looking at evidence-based remedies. I know that this is kind of the, the you know, catchphrase now in medicine, yeah, evidence-based, and it is true. They're evidence-based research with drugs, but what happens when these drugs are compared with natural remedies? We were told that God had remedies in nature that did not have the same side effects that the drug medications have. Well, in one double-blind randomized control trial, researchers compared the efficacy of ginger to the migraine medication sumatriptan. And 100 people who had migraines without auras were randomly given either ginger or sumatriptan. And within two hours, both groups saw a significant decrease in migraine pain. And the benefit in both groups was statistically similar. So you could take a very simple remedy that you could grow yourself, you could grow it in your yard, you could grow some ginger, uh, or you could have to go buy the medication that has all kinds of side effects. And so you can see that we were told that God made remedies in nature. And sure enough, they actually do work when put head to head with a standard drug medication. I could go on and on. I have hours of material on this. And uh, by the way, um, Go check out our, if, if you're someone who goes on YouTube, if you're not, skip what I'm saying right now. But if, if you're a person who goes on YouTube, uh, check out, uh, I have a new channel called Health and Homestead. If you type in Health and Homestead, check out our channel there. Uh, we're putting out videos daily, five days a week lately. Sometime I won't be able to keep up with that. But since we're not traveling as much, I can put out five days, five days a week, putting out videos on the research on these things, on country living. Uh, it's totally free. You can check it out there. So Health and Homestead on YouTube. But these things are very, very powerful. That if we learn the research that's out there, this is not just old wives tales. What they're doing is researchers, uh, corporations are actually testing. Is it true? So what they do is they sometimes ask, ask these, you know, old cultures, hey, what do you do when, when you get a stomach ache? And they say, oh, we pick this herb and we eat it. Well, then they actually do scientific research to find out, does it actually work? Because they're ho hoping to isolate some compound within that plant that they can turn into a drug rather than just give people the the actual standard uh, herb that they were eating. But the good news is we can find the research, we can look at what's being done, we can find benefits that may have little to no side effects is what we're actually hoping for. That's what we are told to shoot for, not to be giving things that have so many side effects. So let's go forward. Uh, God has caused to grow out of the ground herbs for the use of man. And if we understand the nature of those roots and herbs and make a right use of them, they would not, there would not be a necessity of running for the doctor so frequently, and people would be in much better health than they are today. I believe in calling upon the great physician when we have used the remedies I have mentioned. So we see here that the remedies 
do not do all the work themselves in connection with them, we're connecting with God. So they do do a great work, and then we can trust in God by faith at the same time. So we're mixing faith and works. And we see faith and works all throughout the New Testament. It's just not an Old Testament concept, but this is something that is throughout. So we can be a part of this sharing the truth, sharing the coming of Jesus Christ, and being a part of the healing work. And as a physician, I'm not a physician, but I do minister to people through the healing ministry uh, that we can all be, uh, you know, as we do our work and as a physician, we want to be a witness, not just simply a physician. The medical ministry and the medical missionary work is not just the standard medical work. It is to be a light to the world. And listen, doctors, doctors have a tenfold greater witness than that of the ordained minister, we are told. There is no greater work than that of a doctor. And so God can use you in a very, very special way, but allow him to do more than simply use you to heal people. Allow Jesus to use you to be a channel of light to your, to your uh, people that come to you, that you can be a witness to them, and to them. Some people may reject your witness, and that's okay. You don't have to force anything upon them, but you can be a light to the people because people are more open when they're sick than virtually at any other time. And people look to doctors and thinking they're moral and loving and caring for them, even if they're not. And many of them are, but I'm just saying that people just look to them that way. And you can be a light to people because of that. We're told that in the end, we're supposed to have, actually not the end, we were supposed to back then. It is that thirsting souls may be led to the living water that we plead for sanitarium, not extensive mammoth sanitariums, not mammoth hospitals, but home-like institutions in pleasant places. We were never made to have giant health institutions. We were not called to do that. We were meant to give these natural methods of, of healing and helping people. And yes, even time for surgery and different kinds of things. And, and, and in very special cases, drugs might be used. But in general, we were actually meant not to have these mammoth institutions, but simple home-like centers in pleasant, natural places outside of the city. And the purpose for these health centers, if a sanitarium connected with, the, with this closing message fails to lift up Christ and the principles of the gospel as developed in the third angel's message, it fails in its most important feature and contradicts the very object of his existence. If our institutions aren't sharing the message, they have failed at what they are called to do. And we want the gospel, the message of Christ's coming, to be linked with the health message. Now, we're told educate away from drugs. But notice, notice the balance here. Use them less and less and depend more upon hygienic agency, agencies than nature will respond to God's physicians. Pure air, pure water, proper exercise, a clear conscience. Those who persist in the use of tea, coffee, and flesh meats will feel the need of drugs. But many might recover without one grain of medicine if they would obey the laws of health. How true that is. Drugs need, notice this, seldom be used. Not necessarily that they're never used. That's not what she's saying. But we, I, I think what we've come to the conclusion is in her day, they had drugs that had all kinds of side effects, right? Like they would take mercury. They called it calomel back then. And wow, we know how dumb that was, right? But now the medications we have don't really have side effects. <laughs> at, at least we like to imagine they don't. But I just showed you the, the research on uh, the, the most popular drug in the world, probably, and 
antibiotics, increasing chances of cancer by 40%, Parkinson's by 40%, rheumatoid arthritis by 60%. So we realize, no, drugs are very serious medications, and I'm not telling anybody not to take them, but someone like myself growing up taking them all the time and then having gut troubles throughout life, uh, which is probably one of the factors because I took these so often, we didn't really think there was anything wrong with it. It was just, okay, you know, you take these things are fine. They're healthy. They're good for you. And, uh, but the reality is someone like me is a prime candidate for cancer is how many times I've taken it. Um, I hope I don't get it. I try to live the best lifestyle I can, but we may damage our bodies so much by the good medication that it, and so this is just, this is more something to think about. I'm not condemning anybody for prescribing it, but we ought to consider these things and at least tell people about, hey, you can read the side effects. I don't know if the side effects tell people this might raise your chance of cancer, Parkinson's, rheumatoid arthritis, and other things. They might, I'm not really sure. But so um, I want to finish with this. So I, I don't know if I told this at Loma Linda or not, so I'll share the story anyway. I had a a minister, I was doing some meetings in the state of Maine, and we were doing some health seminars, and we were doing a gut-brain connection seminar before I went into doing a Bible prophecy seminar. So I'm speaking on the science of the gut-brain connection, the research that has come out on that, on how it can be a potential help in reversing uh, depression, anxiety, these kind of things. And, but we're mixing in the Bible. We're showing the research, we're showing the studies, but we're also sharing the scripture because we're trying to do what Jesus did, that he sent them forth to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And we're told that the word of God is to be firmly linked, that the word of God is to be firmly linked with the ministry of health. So we want these two things to be linked. So we're trying to link them together. And this Pentecostal pastor came with his wife. He had diabetes. She had diabetes. Um, and they came to our meetings. And he was so excited as we were showing the Bible and how the Bible talks about health and our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is the basis of the health principles that we have. He, was so, he said, man, I've been a pastor for years. I've read the Bible. He said, I've never seen these things from scripture that you're sharing. And then he said, he said, would you come and share these things in my Pentecostal or in the Pentecostal church? I said, well, sure. I was only speaking at this point in the Adventist church on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe. And um, then I said, yeah, happily, if, if during the week you can open the doors, we'd love to do it. So we came out, did the meetings at his church. We had an Amish man coming with his wife because this Amish man had told me that he wanted to uh, turn toward a plant-based diet. He wanted to become a vegan, he told us. His wife was struggling that, with that. She's like, man, I don't know how, if I, how I can cook for my family as a, as on a plant-based diet in the Amish community, but her husband was ready for it totally. And, um, but nevertheless, so the Pentecostal pastor and his wife, his wife actually was the one that did it at the service in the Pentecostal church, she begins to testify. And if anybody can testify, it's a Pentecostal. And so she begins to testify in front of the people there. I think it had probably been six, seven, maybe eight days, no more than that, probably closer to six. And since we had started our other meetings where she had she and her husband had come to and they begin to implement some of the principles that we were talking about and she she testifies to her pentecostal the people from the pentecostal church that were there at that meeting with us and the you know amish also she said listen these people came to our the we we went to the meetings that these people were doing and she said we began to implement some of the things that they've been teaching and she her her blood sugar she was a diabetic her blood sugars weren't super high but they were in the diabetic range they were like 155 somewhere around there and within you know six seven eight days she had gotten down to 126 so she was a point away from being not even full-blown diabetic she was a point away within days of making it down into the pre-diabetes range. 
And then she said, my depression has gone away. I'm feeling so much better. And she said, my knee, I was getting ready to go in for surgery. And my doctor says that I may now not have to have surgery. And this is within eight days. This is like miraculous, you know? And I'm watching this and I say, I say, uh, wow, man, I couldn't have paid you to say all these things that were so great. And then she said this, she said, I, my friend called me on the phone, she said, and she said, I told my friend, listen, her friend was struggling with some health difficulties. And she said, listen, you go look in the phone book and you find the local Seventh-day Adventist church and you go to their church and they will heal you. <laughs> well, I hope that's true. Yeah, I hope she's right. I hope she finds some Adventist church and they, they heal that person of whatever ails them. But here's the point. As, as I began to take up this work, seeing someone like Dell, the transformation take place in his 80-year-old body, to see the changes taking place in this Pentecostal pastor and his wife, and, and seeing lives around the world, literally, as we travel around the world, I, I'm not a doctor. I make a living as a documentary you know, filmmaker. But as I see people, as we share with people the scientific research, we show them, you can look up the studies for yourself, and as we tie in the message of the Bible. I, I began after doing this. I had been doing ministry for years. We had been preaching for years, doing prophecy seminars, seeing people give their lives to Jesus, baptize and praise the Lord. There's nothing like that. But then when I began to see people healed in my ministry also, I began to feel for the first time like I was really working in these, these two great ministries that Jesus has in the last days, both the preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick and seeing how these things are meant to work together. It has been such a blessing to be a part of. And that's one of the reasons that I've been trying to, along with the country living message, because this health message, it ties right along with it in the last days. And so that's one of the reasons we started this YouTube channel so that people could begin to see these things that they could learn from them. They could implement them and see the benefits in their own lives. So check it out there on YouTube on Health and Homestead. But I want to challenge you. God has called all of us into the medical ministry. And I don't mean that everyone's called to be a doctor. If you're called to be a doctor, praise the Lord. Like I said, you, you have 10 times greater, better witnessing opportunity than I do. 10 times better. I'm actually kind of jealous. I wish I would have, if, if I were young again, I would maybe go back and do that. But I, I just don't think I have the, I don't think I could stay up all night studying all the time and the crazy lifestyle that you live. But if you make through it, God bless you, praise the Lord, but allow God to not only use you to heal people, but to be a medical missionary where you share, people will be so open to your message. God will bless in it. You'll see lives changed. If you would be willing to be a light as you share with people. And if you're not a doctor, not called to be a doctor, Hey, Praise the Lord. But you're called to be a minister for God, both in the gospel work and the medical work, to learn to help people out. We can all learn the simple remedies that God has given us. I mean, think about it. You may be able to help somebody with migraines, with a simple thing like telling them to eat ginger, right? Simple things that God can use you and allow God to use you to be a tool in these last days for his kingdom. We're told that this is going to be the last work in the ministry of our church and that we need to learn these things as religious oppression or religious aggression becomes popular in the land and we are moving into those days friends so let's let's give our lives to jesus fully let's walk in his will and way but let's close with a word of prayer heavenly father thank you so much for jesus who gave us the medical missionary work 
We thank you that he died on the cross of Calvary and that we can be saved, that even if we had a disease that we could not recover from, which is very possible, that we could still be saved eternally. That though we may have diseases at, at times on this earth that cannot be healed here, ultimately your will is to heal us in the new heavens and the new earth. That we will have total healing. Maybe not here, but someday. And we thank you that you want that for us. May we walk with you and may we be a light. May we share Jesus even if we're terrified to. We ask this in his name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.